Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, Day 60. Writing a novel isn't just about putting one word in front of the other over and over until you die. How you open your story makes subtle promises to the reader about what kind of book this is, what kind of questions you're posing and what kind of answers they're likely to get if they keep reading. Look, you wryly imply through the scene you present them with, this guy Cuthbert desperately wants to help the downtrodden and destitute in this wretched kingdom, but how is he going to manage that when he can't even stop a couple of corrupt city guardsmen from smashing up his charms and talismans stall. Audrey just ducked under her opponent's guard, hoisted them off their feet and tackled them into the stack of sparring dummies outside the ring. But will aggression alone be enough when she competes in the Nationals later this month, or does she need something more? What the fuck is that purple shit oozing under Barry's door? Some questions like that last one can be answered quickly, um... And, you know, like in the next scene or the next sentence, even. Some questions are more thematic. They take time. They imply the full arc of the novel. It's often good for the first scene to place the protagonist in a conflict that thematically they're going to face across the entire body of the novel. And in fact, what's really good is to have a mix of both of those type of questions. Some that can be like little hooks that you can go, what's going on here? And then we get an answer straight away. There's the little setup. There's the payoff. Oh, that feels like a nice combo. And some bigger ones that are drawing us more slowly. So you can place a couple of down payments. You can say to the reader, look, I'm going to set up some questions and I can answer them as well. See, and then you can have these bigger ones that are going to draw us in deeper. And I know like all the examples I gave above were a bit, you know, larger than life, a bit ripping yarny. If you're sort of slightly more on the artistic end of the spectrum, you may have found yourself sort of slightly uh, uh, scrunching your toes. Um, but this uh, principle applies to all genres, including literary fiction. Litvik probably struggles more than other genres to attain a satisfying shape. I think this is partly to do with the workshop model that has been so dominant in creative writing pedagogy over the last half a century. In a workshop, you look at work in maximum chunks of 5,000 words, right? It's impractical for the group to consider an entire novel as a whole that almost certainly isn't written yet. The, the format is, you know, pretty good for analysing scenes and set pieces. It is rubbish for learning plot. It's dire. So in a lot of litfic, you get these novels that are full of great moments. You know, they have these lovely scenes, these nice little happenings, these vignettes, these very small, beautifully formed happenings. But they've got a shape roughly akin to a knee sock filled with beans. Events will sort of come to a head. You know, a character will do something wild, go missing, maybe set something on a fire. But the crisis that gets precipitated at the end often feels a bit forced and unsatisfying. It's it's like literary fiction feels something ought to go here. We kind of know this is the bit where we should be getting towards the top of the mountain. And it kind of gamely goes through the motions like a deputy head reading lines in the school Christmas panto. But we all know his heart's not in it. And if he's honest, he he probably feels as if it's slightly beneath him. And I say this with love, right, as a reader and writer of literary fiction. Plot is not literary fiction's strong suit. But we are not bound by the strictures of the past. You, you can write what you like. Plot is beautiful, like a stained glass window or a spider web. Form imposes non-rational relationships between story elements, not just because of anything you can identify in the text, but actually when you exploit plot, 
you're binding your story to a superstructure of all the narratives the reader has encountered before they got to this stage right there's we've got this outside knowing of what might be coming next and it feels almost like like an extrasensory perception it's a weird thing where you go oh this is setting something up there's nothing in the text to say that you're setting something up but we know because we've seen these shapes before right we come to the text with expectations with mental models and heuristics for understanding what's going on now you as the author your understanding and using those gives you so much power and it just gives the whole sense of this kind of slightly glowy, uh, almost mystic feeling. And that's what I love about writing. Can you, I can feel myself, I can hear myself getting excited when I think about it, because it's kind of a beautiful thing. So today, as an introduction to plot and structure, I know that all sounds a bit high end, and I'm going to like bring it right back down now. I just want to run you through a very, very basic way of thinking about it. And this is just one way. Okay, it's not the way, it's an option, it's a flavour that you can, it's a sauce you can put on the food of writing, it's not the only one. And I should say, any plot shapes or formulae or whatever aren't rules, they're norms and principles, they're useful ways of thinking about your work, they can be handy shortcuts. What they most assuredly are not are standards against which you ought to measure yourself, laws with which to damn yourself if the ideas you've had don't conform to them. Sure, if you've written a novel and you get the sense that it's it's falling apart in the middle, that some bits might lack tension or feel a bit boring, or if you're in the process of writing a novel and you get stuck, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't know what happened, what, what I should do. Looking at pl classic plot shapes can be really handy. Oh, you might think, what would classically come here is a, is a this type of incident. And you can think about what that might look like in your world with your characters. These shapes are really useful when they're generative not so good when they're just kind of perfect Instagram photos, your dowdy, unphotoshopped first draft will never ever be like. So today, you're going to do a simple list exercise, uh, because I love list exercises, I'm sure you've learned to enjoy them as well, um, just to hammer home one very simple form which you might think of uh, in which you might think of a plot, right? So I call this form A wants but so. A wants but so. Uh, so you might start with the protagonist's name, or you can leave it out. They don't have to be named. It can be quite nice to sort of make a choice on that, uh, because names are inherently a little bit more crunchy. So Darnian Grey Pelt. Harriet, Duchess Rothermere. A is just who this person is. A misanthropic trapper living alone in the Godskill Mountains. An elderly woman and retired demon hunter. Leader of Brandia, an independent nation-state that finds itself enclosed by empires on the verge of war. Of course I've made all my examples fantasy, but please diversify your genre portfolio if you wish. Wants is what this person wants. Wants to be left alone. Wants the molten heart of Karok, Duke of Agony, for her collection. Wants to live long enough to see the pear blossom fall from the tree in the grounds of the government compound where she grew up. But is a complicating factor. But a royal delegation comes she seeking his help with a pack of weird jackals plaguing the city, and they won't take no for an answer. But her daughter insists she go on a spa holiday instead. But 
with the peace summit taking place in three days' time and agents on all sides keen to see talks fail, she's not even sure if she'll survive till dinner. So is what the protagonist does in response. It's the first expression of their agency, a decision they make, an action they take. Uh, it, it's them changing the story. Now, now it can still involve um, them going on along with what's expected of them. Uh, it could involve acquiescence, but it is a decision that they made. It's a choice they've made, uh, and and it, and, it, and it helps signal to the reader. Um, it's just an expression that they are the ones who are going to be driving some of this story. So Darnian reluctantly goes with them, and discovers the world has changed much in the twenty years since he abandoned civilization. So she heads to the mountain resort of Umbral Springs, only to discover a strange sect taking the brimstone-scented waters. So she decides to turn to the disgraced guild of mind shapers, who her late father banned from holding positions in government thirty years ago, for help. So you put those together, and you get here are three implied. Uh, uh, little plot shapes. Darnian Greypelt, a myth misanthropic trapper living alone in the Godskill Mountains, wants to be left alone. But a royal delegation comes seeking his help with a pack of weird jackals plaguing the city, and they won't take no for an answer. So Darnian reluctantly goes with them and discovers the world has changed much in the 20 years since he abandoned civilization. Harriet, an elderly woman and retired demon hunter, wants the molten heart of Karok, Duke of Agony, for her collection, but her daughter insists she go on a spa holiday instead. So she heads to the mountain resort of Umbral Springs, only to discover a strange sect taking the brimstone-scented waters. Duchess Rothermere, leader of Brandia, an independent nation-state that finds itself enclosed by empires on the verge of war, wants to live long enough to see the pear blossom fall from the tree in the grounds of the government compound where she grew up. But with the peace summit taking place in three days' time and agents on all sides keen to see talks fail, she's not even sure if she'll survive till dinner. So she decides to turn to the disgraced guild of mind shapers, who her late father banned from holding positions in government 30 years ago, for help. A wants but so. That's the format. A wants but so. You can write it down if you want now. It might be useful for you. A wants but so. Four clauses. So I'm going to give you ten minutes and I'd like you to aim to come up with three to five of these basically. So when I say it's a list exercise I suppose three is the very minimum that you that you could put together that would constitute a list but I, you know i think that's about the amount of time you know you want to be taking between two and three minutes on each of these don't worry too much about getting it perfect but if you can try to go into detail you'll hear in each of those like i named people i named places uh i think that's always really good at making it feel more concrete to you um, it's kind of a trick that you're doing for yourself if you can dodge the obvious you know, like set aside your first thought and come up with an alternative that's just one step more unexpected. That's awesome. That's something I, like, I try to do a little bit. Um, it doesn't always mean that your stuff has to be kooky. Uh, it just means like, for example, when I was coming up with the Dardian Grey Pelt uh, thing about this kind of trapper going down and being forced to come down into the city to deal with, deal with this infestation, the pack of weird jackals. Well, originally... I thought trolls and I thought uh I don't know like troll one trolls doesn't feel like it really fits a trapper context too much 
and two trolls like seem a bit they're like quite a classic tropey monster so then i was like we're wolves because like trappers chase wolves and i was like okay werewolves are kind of cool but um werewolves are like a very stock monster so could it be a weird something else a weird jackal okay and that's like my third thought is it the best one that i could possibly come up with no but we're not trying to do that but that's how my thought process goes when i'm trying to just move away from the obvious and it, you know it's the same thing if you just are thinking about a character and you say what job could they have they could be a teacher okay like a teacher is really cool that's that's well it's not intrinsically cool but it's fine for a job but like you go okay but how can i take that one step away could be an archery teacher okay cool right wow okay that's interesting if you tell me oh if you you we were at a party and i said oh what do you do and you said i'm a teacher that's interesting i'd be like brilliant oh cool what do you but if you said i'm an archery teacher i'd be like wow it's just more specific and it's just a, a step in to something a step towards something it's just like leaning into something a little bit you don't it doesn't always have to be weird it just has to be one step away from the obvious if you can push your writing towards that you're going to have a great time um and in some ways it's just about being more specific right um your choice what genre what tone a once but so 10 minutes have fun are you ready three two one
and that's it. How did that go for you? Anything interesting pop out? Um, people often only try to write this kind of mini synopsis when they're working out how to pitch the novel they've already written. Uh, and then it feels like, oh God, how do I chunk all this down into one paragraph? But it can actually be a really cool way of discovering novels you might quite like to write one day. Because it's a very low risk way of doing it, right? You just get to get a shape and it doesn't take that long. And it's quite nice and quite exciting. And you, you don't have to know what happens either. Like I, all of these are just sort of made up. They're not ones I've been sitting on. I just kind of wrote them very quickly. Uh, and, you know, they are a bit tropey, but I like tropey anyway. You know, but you, 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 you don't have to know how so-and-so gets out of the fix you've made for them. That's one of the exciting things, really. That's what's lovely about sitting down to write the actual book. That's why you sometimes, when I wrote these, I'm quite excited with all of them. They all sound quite fun. So um, please hold on to what you've written today because I, I want to come back to this tomorrow. These little plans are good starting points. And there's a bunch of ways we, we can um, slice this particular... Uh, um, I don't know what you slice that you can slice in different ways. I was going to say you can slice this slice this cake in different ways, but there is really only one way of slicing a cake that isn't like self-consciously consciously pretentious, right? Like you just do it in slices. But there's a lots of different and I don't and I don't want to say there's lots of ways to skin a cat because I don't want to evoke cruelty to animals. So there's just lots of ways to do this. Um but what I want to do tomorrow is, like, I don't know, but with some of these things, like with when I read out my examples, you may have felt a strange sort of incompleteness, as if they they were missing a bit at the end. So just hold on to what you've written today and bring it back tomorrow, because um, I think tomorrow we can just deal with that. Um, and I'll see you then. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.